0: everyone it's week two of the year 2023 and you're listening to the break with father roderick recording this on a wednesday evening and it is uh i've got exactly one hour to get this show done because then i have to join father henry for his last dinner with the parish council uh, because he's leaving tomorrow this episode of the break is brought to you thanks to my patrons a wonderful community of people that support me with their monthly micro donations and i am super happy that i can welcome a couple of new patrons um and since the beginning of this year including the last day of the last year of 2022 i want to welcome lawrence uh, lawrence judy who joined us as a patron on the five dollar level i want to thank johan pakla for uh, editing his pledge. He's upping his pledge. He's a, he's a big sponsor, uh, a big donor and helper uh, of, of my mission. I, I'm really, really uh, thankful for, for all his support. Um, I want to thank Joost and Dominique for uh, upping their pledge. Um, I would love to uh, welcome Peter, uh, Peter Kuiper as a new patron. And also... Um, Scott, Scott Shields, who also joined the Patreon community. Now, if you want to get access to the Discord server and meet all these new people and old people and want to hang out with me and chat uh, and and help me with my mission to reach out to, well, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people on these various different social uh, platforms... Um, then, then take a look at patreon.com slash father do you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world face it catholics rule we got boston south america the good part of ireland and we're making serious inroads in mozambique baby you've taken your first step into a larger world A lot of things happening in the larger world and in the small world that constitutes my own environment. As I mentioned in the intro, Father Henry is leaving the parish. He has been uh, appointed in a, a new parish in Appeldorn. And so he moved out. Earlier this morning, um, and uh, tonight he will have his farewell dinner. Um, I was at his farewell mass this past Sunday, and Father Henry and I—we are—we have the same age. We uh, we uh, have we were in seminary together for uh, for five years, I think. We studied together in Rome, um, and so we know each other very well. Um, I'm very happy for him. That he um, has a wonderful new parish. Of course I'm also a bit sad to um, to see him go because uh, we, we, we often chatted and every once in a while you know he'd pop in and or I would go over there and, and we would uh, eat together and uh, Father Henry is the total opposite of me in terms of social, engagement. He loves to be among people. And so there's always something to do there. He loves to invite people to come over and cook with him. And so uh, many times I've uh, benefited from his hospitality. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I'm sad to see him go. On the other hand, I'm glad for him. It is, I think, very good parish, slightly calmer, at least the, the number of communities that he has to uh, Shepherd is a bit smaller so I hope for him that he gets a little bit more time for himself, you know, read a book from time to time or just go for a walk instead of constantly, you know, working um, and I'm super happy that we get a, a very good replacement um, uh, Father Mauricio who is from Colombia originally, he's a missionary he works in the Netherlands and I worked together with him in Amersfoort for uh, for a couple of years um, he's a very dynamic guy Uh I think multi-talented um, and, and also a very cheerful guy. Uh, good sense of humor and um, always full of ideas and energy. So really happy to, um, to see him coming to this parish and, uh, and leading us. In, the, in the, the larger world, also, of course, lots of stuff happening. Last week was the funeral of Pope Benedict, And um, so I've been following that online. Unfortunately, I was not in Rome at the time, but we do have a lot of people there that uh, did, I think, a terrific job uh, keeping us uh, informed about what was going on there. Um, And then just this morning, I read the news that um, Cardinal Pell, um, the uh, former Archbishop of uh, the Archdiocese of Sydney, had, had passed away due to complications after a hip surgery. Um, he was I think 80 or 81 years old uh, and of course very well known um, from from the work that he did in, in Sydney. He uh, hosted the World Youth Days there in Australia um, and then of course afterwards uh, the accusations um, that, that initially landed him in jail of uh, two young men that said that he had abused them which ultimately he was completely acquitted from. Um, after um, 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 how do you say that an, an appeal um, and uh, and so even though he was acquitted, um, the media still associate him very much with that you know uh, the, all the the abuse crisis in the in the church um, and i he was back in Rome, so after he was uh, freed from prison or uh, let go from prison he uh, he went back to Rome. Uh, before he uh, went to to Australia for uh, to defend himself, um, he of course led the charge in the reformation of the whole finance financial uh, system of the Vatican and uncovered a lot of stuff that was wrong and 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 uh, st- uh, started to implement a lot of changes which, uh, as you can imagine, didn't make him very popular with the, some people that benefited from the old way of doing things. But Pope Francis has many times said that um, uh, if it hadn't been for Pell, uh, a lot of the changes would not have occurred. So um, I think he has been extremely important for the renewal um, and in cert- certain ways also the purging of a lot of the old um, broken systems when it comes to the Vatican finances, and so uh, the, the complications after his surgery surgery had been planned for a long time. in fact he um, was he had con celebrated during the um, the funeral of Pope Benedict and uh, the surgery itself is nothing too special I mean it's a, a procedure that is done uh, many many times every day in all over the world. Um, but he had some heart problems and apparently uh, unforeseen complications led to uh, um, uh, his heart stopping. And then this morning, uh, the news said that, uh, that he had passed away. I'm sure that um, people that have known him personally very well, that have worked with him, um, that also knew that he was innocent or convinced of his innocence, uh, must feel very sad I I guess it's probably also going to be in the media another another occasion for people to uh, um, well to be to be upset with the way in which the church has handled abuse in in the church and um, and according to some continues to cover up uh, cases of abuse so yeah there's probably also going to be it's going to trigger some anger and, and and negativity um it's I've I've met him once in my life. Uh I I made a trip to to Australia um for a conference about new media and uh I started my journey in Sydney and I stayed at the at the Episcopal Palace. So I was um there is a so cardinal pell at the time lived there in in the, the palace is not a conventional you know old house or anything it's it's a pretty big modern pretty modern building as far as i can remember and it was created in such a way that there would be a lot of guest rooms for priests and visitors to be able to stay there so that's how i i got to stay a couple of days there and i i still remember the first day that i met him which was so strange i was um I was up early because of the jet lag, and there's a huge time difference with the Netherlands. And um, I went down for breakfast to the the hall that they indicated me the day before. And so I don't know. I think I was eating some cereal, and all of a sudden, um, Cardinal Pell walks in. Um, but he is still in his in his um, uh, how do you say that his his robe. Um, he was dressed, but he was like um, he had. Uh, it was walking on slippers, or what is it? Um, how do you call these things um, that you wear in the house? Anyway, we'll just call them slippers. Uh, and he had his like a like a big dark blue or dark brown bathrobe. Uh, that he was carrying, and he was he was very relaxed, and he just sat down and greeted me. And of course, he didn't know who I was, so I briefly introduced myself. And then he picked up the newspaper, and he started to uh, to rant about some kind of rugby match that uh, was played the day before. And so he was he was uh, conversing with other priests about sports, and I was like, "Wow, I, this is the most low key uh bishop that I've ever seen." <laughs> And then the next day, I had a a formal and official interview with him, um, a podcast interview, uh, about World Youth Days and about uh, the future of the church in Sydney, etc. This this is a long time ago, so way before he he went to to Rome, but... um, and and, and th- it was a very different style. I mean, there he was, like the bishop. And he's a t- very tall guy, very imposing. Um, I think he used to be actually a sportsman uh, in his younger years. Um, and then there was also his ch- uh, chief of communications who was there. And she was like, she wanted to screen all my questions. And it was a very formal situation. And I was like, okay, so this is the same guy that walked into the to breakfast hall or breakfast room a day before in his bathrobe, and uh, and and he was just chatting about rugby <laughs> all morning long. It was it was very very funny. But uh, uh, yeah, an imposing an imposing guy, um, very strong character. Um, I can imagine that it's not for everyone <laughs> i mean he uh he knew what he wanted um his successor is at a very different uh was a very different type of guy so when Pell went to rome um they um, appointed I um a i think it's a dominican priest although i'm not entirely sure um and he used to be the the auxiliary bishop under Pell, um, and and the great organizer of uh, the those World Youth Days in, in Sydney, um, and a very very kind kind man. Um, I had met him. Ooh, when was that? I met him when he was still the bishop of the neighboring uh, the neighboring diocese. So Anthony Fisher. Although I'm, I'm now I'm wondering if he had, yeah, no, he was still. I remember. So when when Cardinal Pell was still the Archbishop of Sydney, uh, Anthony Fisher was uh, the Bishop of Gosh. The name escapes me. of the, <laughs> the, the, the It's the it's the diocese next door, and so I got to meet him um, once or twice. Very calm, very nice guy. Um, extremely up to date when it comes to s- social communication and media, and, and and I met him again in um, in Spain during World Youth Days with Pope Benedict, and uh, and he still recognized me. I was like, "Oh, you're the podcasting priest," and uh, and so we uh, we had a conversation there, and then later on, I heard that he had been appointed as the Archbishop of uh, of Sydney, and I think he's he's very uh, well loved and. Uh, um, and and also was a had a very calming effect, I think, on the diocese in the midst of all that turmoil surrounding the former Archbishop uh, Cardinal Pell when he was convicted and everything. Um, I think that 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 the diocese of Sydney had a very very good uh, um, faithful shepherd in in um, in Anthony Fisher, uh, who of course. Having worked as a, an auxiliary bishop for Pell many years, knew him very well. So I guess this is a, a sad day for many in the archdiocese of Sydney. Um, so yeah, so much, so much things happening, and the year has barely begun. I was watching some videos from uh, like Vatican Watchers. Um, so there is uh, John Allen who um, does uh, a weekly video for Crux Now, and. Um, And he started his YouTube video like, yeah, we all told each other, hey, it's the end of the year, beginning of the new year. That's usually a time where really nothing happens. Yeah, the Pope will give his blessing and do some stuff. But yeah, this is the perfect time to take a break. And so they all went on a break for two weeks and then Pope Benedict dies and everything, like everything changes there. So he was scrambling to get back (laughs) to work. (laughs) And I think a lot of journalists journalists and other people working in the Vatican must have felt like that. Like after Christmas, usually that's the time where priests and bishops are like, Phew. Well, we survived that. Let's take a break now. And then in the Vatican, no rest for the weary. (laughs) How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So as you know, I'm currently on a winter break, and I have a little bit more time to watch TV and catch up on some stuff. So I'm I'm uh, almost caught up with uh, the Bad Batch, which is a, a Star Wars animated series. It's a lot of fun. I really like the storytelling, and the animation has only got become better. Um, the Clone Wars, the final few seasons were already superb, um, and that Bad Batch is is even even more beautiful. It's it's incredible what they're what they're pulling off and of course this is all leading us to uh more Star Wars series we're going to get the Mandalorian back finally Grogu will be uh, will be back and we will follow uh, the Mandalorian on his quest to uh rehabilitate himself maybe getting rid of that excommunication that he suffered last last season um i i can't wait to see that and and they have been sitting on that series for so long when when we were in Anaheim they showed us a trailer and some stuff that afterwards they didn't post online and it looked completely finished special effects and all so my my thinking is they they've had so much time perfecting this third season of the Mandalorian it's going to blow us away um i can't wait to see more of it um so but i've also dived back into the world of star trek you know how, how I, I, that i'm a little bit of a I don't really tell my Star Wars friends this, but I'm actually also a Trekkie. I'm a very big Star Trek fan, and I was a Star Trek fan way before I was a Star Wars fan. This has to do with uh, one of my first international television experiences. When I was a, a young boy, like four or five years old, we always, um, I've told this story before, so my apologies if you've already heard this, but my grandparents, of my so the parents of my father, lived in the south of the country, where, um, like, this, this little appendix, almost, of the Netherlands, very close to the Belgian border and the border with Germany, which means, back in the days, we cable television didn't exist, so you, you were dependent on what your receiver, your antenna, could pick up. And I lived near Rotterdam, so we only had Dutch TV, and it was, I think, one ch- channel or one or two channels. Whereas if we went to to stay with our grandparents, that antenna could pick up the Belgian television channels over the air and also the German ones. Now, the German television had a dubbed series of Star Trek that they ran in the afternoons. And once I discovered that, we would watch that religiously. I couldn't wait to, to, uh, to turn it on. I think it, it was on several times a week. And it was dubbed in German. And, of course, as a child, didn't understand German. But I've, I distinctly remember, it was a black and white TV at the time, uh, Spock with his ears and then this spaceship. And back then I was already very, very much into anything that had to do with rockets and astronauts and spaceships and uh, and moon landings. And so seeing a television series about people in space. For me, it was the best television ever. And so Star Trek, the original series, had a major influence on me as a child. And maybe that's where my my first steps into the world of of eternal geekdom came from. I I blame it on German television. (laughs) Raumschiff Enterprise. And so I continue to love... Uh, Star Trek up until this moment, and um, I, I've, I've, I, I really like where they are taking the franchise, especially with Strange New Worlds. I believe that they are rediscovering what made Star Trek so popular in the sixties and seventies, and 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 that format format that formula. Like every week, it's a new it's a new journey, a new the alien of the week, and stuff like that. The shenanigans on board of uh, just a regular explore, exploration ship, um, that's the kind of Star Trek formula that still works today. And um, there is one series that I still haven't seen or haven't finished, and that is Deep Space Nine, which, according to many Star Trek fans, is the best that has been ever written in Star Trek. It's, it's of course, older. It's, what is it? 20, 25 years old? Maybe even older. Um, so it is a bit dated uh, in terms of the way it looks, and it's, it's clearly from the era, you know, this was, they started filming this when The Next Generation was still on TV. Um, so it has a bit of that same vibe. Even Worf, uh, I think in the third season, starts to become a regular on the show. The difference with, uh, with The Next Generation, of course, is Deep Space Nine takes place on a diplomatic spaceship, Maybe I'm confusing this with Babylon Five, but anyway, it's a stationary ship, so it's not—it's not a ship. It's a—it's a—it's a station, a space station, and uh, it's so it's a small society, and it, it had a much more of a uh, a sitcom vibe to it. Uh, it was all filmed always in the same uh, the same uh, sets. Uh, they barely ever visited planets. You didn't see much of space. So it felt in a in many ways much more much cheaper, simpler than the next generation. And this is probably also why initially I didn't care that much for Deep Space Nine. What I loved about Star Trek was the exploration, was the journeying, the traveling, the discovery. And Deep Space Nine just felt like every week kind of looked the same and had the same people and the same storylines. What years later I started to discover why actually that is What makes the series so brilliant? Because since they couldn't rely on the alien of the week or the, like, beaming people down to all sorts of cheap-looking planets, they had to do their best writing interesting storylines for their characters. And the further I get with the series, the more, the better it becomes. And the more you start to love the people on board Deep Space Nine. And so the other day... Yesterday evening in fact I watched two episodes of Deep Space Nine of 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 the 4th season I think episodes 13 and 14 and one was about Odo. Odo is um is a an alien that can morph into anything basically. He morph into inanimate objects and into people and uh he can mimic others and, and that is also why his species is sometimes very dangerous because if they if they they can use that that morphing power for evil as well and there have been some, ep- some episodes where that happens not with Odo but uh, definitely with other uh other how do you say that other <laughs> other people they're not really people but other aliens from his uh, from his species um but Odo is is a bit you could say a, a bit akin to Data in a sense that he is, he is always trying to figure out why humans are the way they are. He doesn't get human behavior. However, he does have emotions. It's not like Data, who has to get a, a special you know, new chip in order to experience emotions. Odo does, definitely has emotions, um, but in this particular episode, he actually falls in love with Kira who's also uh, uh, one of the regular crew members however it's not mutual and then uh, uh, someone else like a big hotshot from another planet visits the space station and Kira is clearly infatuated with that guy and then Odo is like the um, the fifth wheel on the wagon he is like oh, he would love to tell her what he feels for her but he he can't because he's also um responsible for for security on board and it is so well played and so subtle and so you can see the heartbreak in in this guy and um and that's the star trek that I love so much it's a simple love story about a love that is unanswered and who can't relate to that we've all been there right and uh and and then over time during the episode he of course chooses his duty. He knows that this is not going to go anywhere, and so he embraces his his job, but it still hurts a bit to let go of that other potential dreamy future that... Maybe in an alternate universe would would uh, would be a possibility, but not in this particular life. And of course, as a priest, I can also relate to that because when I was still in in high school, I, I was also infatuated from time to time, and I, I imagined myself being married to this or that girl and having a family. And then uh, you make a different choice in life; you take a different uh, at, at, at one junction. You 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 choose to become a priest and to, to stay celibate and to not have a family. Um, but sometimes you just wonder, what what would my life be if I had turned right instead of left, you know, and if I had done this or that? So I, I always like stories that kind of um, touch upon that, that almost nostalgia, that melancholy feeling like, have i made the right choice now i don't worry i i feel i feel like i have made the right choice and i'm very happy as a priest but there's still this little thing like oh my gosh well what if i would have um fallen in love and gotten married and i'd i'd be a dad now maybe or maybe not who knows it's it's funny and at the same time life is all about not regretting the choices that you made uh, but but to embrace your life as it is and to try to find the the value and the beauty in in the life that you have instead of just always longing for you know a, a life that you wish you would have had the the, the grass on the, <laughs> the the neighbor's grass is always greener but it's it's not your garden it's not your life so it's only going to make you unhappy if you keep resenting the life that you have instead of looking for 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 what makes your life as it is already a value and it is a value it is worthwhile, it is absolutely worth living even though it's maybe not the life that you imagined to have or that you dreamed of having but it's it's not over yet so there's still so much potential in this life, in this situation um, just don't don't gloss over that by staying stuck in, in basically an impossible alternate reality. And I, so I, I love that particular episode with Odo, who is actually a very down-to-earth guy, if you can say that on a spaceship. <laughs> but to, to see how the series addresses these feelings... Uh, and in emotions and and at the same time within the span of just a short episode kind of brings that to closure and and actually has a message for us as the viewers I thought it was absolutely brilliant can't wait to see where the series goes and I'm so glad that I still have a couple of seasons left to enjoy and I've never seen them I, nobody spoiled me and please don't don't because I, I really want to experience is, this as if I'm watching and, and I am watching it for the first time can't wait to see how it all uh, where it all will lead <laughs> catholics rock as usual it is time for a short visit to the peculiar bunch um aka <laughs> the catholics Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And even though Catholics are a peculiar bunch from time to time, you may have questions. You may wonder why we do things that we do. So this is the place where I give you answers. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster videos. So today, I would like to share with you, not answers to a question, but four habits that help me every day to uh, put my faith in practice. Um, As I've often mentioned, also in the walk, uh, habits are super important. Your habits actually determine who you are and who you're going to be. It's not the big decisions. That is important from time to time to, to make a big decision. But it's ultimately the things that you do on a day-to-day basis, some some stuff even on autopilot, what is going to determine your life and 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 mold it to a certain extent. So here are four things that I had to acquire as habits, because habits, of course, are not like, if it was just intuition or autopilot right from the get-go, um, there would be no effort. Um, but these are these are things that you can that you can learn that you can acquire as habits so here is here are four things that i i've i've learned and that i still have to practice because habits again are just habits you can also lose them or you can replace them with bad habits so but let's start with prayer um prayer of course obviously is um the way in in which we as human beings lost in the universe in in a in a galaxy that is so incredibly big but prayer is our line with god it's our communication line with god when we pray we open ourselves for the one who created all this and is able to find us despite the fact that we're so tiny and so insignificant because he is our father and a father or a mother, uh, will always find their children, even if they are in a huge crowd. The, once The moment they see their child, they know, that's my child. That's kind of how I equate that um, when it comes to God and, and my relationship with God, even though, um, you know, from, from an astronaut's point of view, the earth is tiny uh, and lost, but God is not looking with a telescope he's looking for me with his heart and so in order to nurture that relationship with god prayer is is the way this is the way but prayer as you know from experience is not always easy um especially if you're new to prayer and it's like so how does that work do i say words do of course we we know the the prayers that have been written before us or have been taught to us like the our father um, taught to us by Jesus, but but what about what about other forms of prayer? How how do you do that? Do you just sit in a church and then you close your eyes and then God starts talking to you? Um, no, <laughs> and, and it's very difficult to do, to give you a one uh, like one fit. How do you say that? One size fits all uh, recipe for prayer because. None of us are are the same. We're all different. We have different sensitivities. Some of us are more visual, others are more verbal. Other people just need to move, you know. You, you can pray by singing. You can pray by dancing. You can pray by walking and just being silent and th- th- there there is not one specific uh way of prayer. What is much more important than what you pray, let me sneeze, <coughs> excuse me, more more important than, than what you pray or how long you pray or what you say or whether you kneel or stand or <laughs> you're laying on the ground or you walk in the woods, what is much more important is the habit of prayer. Um creating moments during the day. Uh, If necessary, use habit stacking, which is, if you find it difficult to find a moment during the day when to pray because your life is so hectic and you already have so much on your plate, don't try to make it into a burden. Connect it to something you automatically do. You don't even think about it. Like, I don't know, uh, cleaning out the dishwasher. That could be a moment where, while you're doing that, you take a few minutes to pray and you just connect with God and tell Him, you know, this is my day. I'm uh, I'm not looking forward to this, or I hope I'll get to talk to this and this person. Can you please bless my day? It can be as simple as that, or when you are um, when you're putting on your pajamas before you go to bed, while you're you're putting on your pajamas instead of listening to the radio or to a podcast. Just do it, you know, put on your pajamas in silence and say, I'm going to get ready for the night. Lord, can you watch over me? Can you give me new energy? Can you bless my day and everything that went wrong and what went well? Can you make it bear fruit? And that's it. You know, even if it only means that you're going to pray while you're putting on your pajamas, habit stacking will help you to create to turn it into a habit. And it's much more important. God has eternity. He doesn't count the number of minutes that you pray or the number of words you use or the number of prayers you recite. It's it's the quality of prayer that matters. It's th- this moment that you think of Him. Um, just like in a relationship, It's it's not the amount of flowers that you give each other every week. No, it's these little moments of affection it's like how was your day tell me what you know if there i can i can tell that you're upset can would you would like to share it with me can i do something for you little things could just be putting uh, wrapping an arm around someone giving someone a kiss or with your children you know just caress them for a moment tell them you love them simple things that's that's what works in relationships, That w- that's also what works in your relationship with God. So habit, turn it into a habit and don't worry about am I doing it right or do I pray enough or long enough or whatever. Um, second tip. Uh, if you go to church, if that's one of your habits, which I would recommend, of course, uh, starting starting the week with uh, by going to church and give some... S- Give some, uh, uh, some food to your soul. Allow yourself to start the week with, with something that has, has nothing to do with work or even with like um, all the other obligations. Uh, if you have a hard time in church because you think it's boring or it's not speaking to you, um, <clears throat> my advice, my tip would be seek one highlight. Try to find one thing, one takeaway, and think about that. focus on that. It doesn't always have to be the words of the priest or uh the liturgy itself. It can also be the way the sun hits the stained glass windows and 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 ensnares you with the with like the magical beauty of of being in that church. It could be a moment of silence, it could be a beautiful piece of music that is played or or um, maybe an emotion that you feel uh, or it could also be you know something that was said that touched you or that you could relate to. But pick one highlight and take that home. Then every every time you go to church there will be something in it for you. It's not just an obligation. it's not just a habit, but it's it's something that you found. it's like an Easter egg that you can take home and and that will feed you for the rest of the day and maybe even the week. Um, in conjunction with that, reading the Bible, that's also something that, um, of course, is highly encouraged, but not always easy. Uh, if you listen to the Bible readings in church, maybe sometimes or, or maybe very often, um, it will go into one ear and will go out the other ear right away. I need to sneeze again. My apologies. Hi, that's you. Ah-hoo! This is just evening allergies. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, it's usually when the heating kicks in. I've got pretty low temperatures here in in the house. Um, but in the evening, usually the the heating will uh, will start to work, and then it it the dust in the air starts to swirl, and that's that's how I often have to sneeze when <laughs> when the the room. Is heated. Anyway, so um, one golden tip that a priest once gave me when I was still in seminary was: uh, if you listen to a reading or you want to prepare for Sunday by reading in advance the readings of the of the week, uh, pick one phrase or one word in that entire reading. Doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the central element of that particular reading. What matters is that you, with your heart try to connect with scripture and find that one phrase that that hits you that that makes you think about something that uh inspires you or or makes you think about something else i don't know there's always that one phrase that triggers you if you if you read the bible looking for that one word in that one phrase you will find it that's just how our brain works it's How God programmed, well, he didn't program us, but he gave us our brain, because we're very good at at connecting with patterns that we recognize, that that we are empathetic. So if we read a reading, there's always something that we can empathize with, that we can connect with, that will trigger something in our brain. Use that capacity that we have to find that one word that God maybe wants to tell you in that particular piece of of God's word. And then my final tip, um, ask questions. Never stop asking questions. Never leave your brain at the entrance of a church. (laughs) Being faithful, being a follower of Christ means asking questions. Jesus wants us to ask questions because he himself constantly asks his disciples, have you understood? Do you get it? (laughs) Let me explain again. So, You cannot acquire wisdom if you never ask questions. You cannot believe if you never doubt. So never think that, oh, but I have too many questions. There's so much in faith I don't understand. I must be a terrible uh, Christian. I'm not worthy to call myself a Catholic or a Christian because, you know, I have so many questions. I have so many doubts. I have so many commentary and criticism That makes you a very good Catholic. That makes you a very good Christian. Because questions, asking questions, is an expression of your desire to seek God and to seek the truth. If you stop seeking and looking for answers, you will find nothing. So God wants you to seek and wants you to ask the questions, even the difficult ones. Don't let anyone tell you, like, oh, that's a stupid question, or, yeah, but you lack faith, because otherwise you wouldn't be questioning our faith. No. Fides querenc intellectum. Faith seeks understanding. And the, other, the opposite is also true. The more you understand, the more you realize that there is more than what we can measure and what we can prove. And sometimes from seeking knowledge and seeking truth faith will will emerge and many scientists can can attest to that so never stop asking questions and if you have any questions you can always ask them to me so i have something to talk about here on the peculiar bunch when did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics last night the packet the extraction theory papers Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, today I want to talk about a wonderful book that I just finished reading, and it's written by an astronaut, and it was so enjoyable. It is, uh, the astronaut is called Chris Hatfield. He's been on, um, I think, two or three shuttle missions, but even when he wasn't in space, he was involved in uh, the um, in mission control of more than 100 space shuttle flights. Um he um he wrote the book An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. And that's kind of what it is. He he talks about his experiences as an astronaut, about how you become an astronaut, which for me as you know, as a child I always dreamt about being an astronaut and we had one astronaut in um back then he hadn't been to space yet, but I had a poster of the space shuttle above my bed. I'm not kidding you. So it was actually at the foot end of my bed against the wall, and it was a cutout poster of the of the, um, I think of the Enterprise, the space shuttle Enterprise, and it showed you like you sh- saw the space shuttle in 3D, and then some parts of it were were open, so you could see the cockpit and the places where they would sleep. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be. Like Wubo Auckles, I was so surprised when I was watching For All Mankind, the Apple Plus Apple TV Plus series uh, by Ronald D. Moore about uh, this alternate reality or alternate history where um, uh, uh, Russia and and the United States are still competing to get to the moon and then to get to Mars and whatnot, and and one of the Characters is Wubo Ockles. It's our own Wubo Ockles, but it's an alternate history. So it's not exactly the same guy. He does have a mustache, so <laughs> just like the real one. And um, uh, so I've always been fascinated by space travel. And of course, i ended up in a totally different profession. And I, I doubt that I would have ever made it to become an astronaut because you have to be actually more of a a scientist type of guy, I was more into language and, and reading and, and history and, uh, the creative part. I was not good at, at math or (laughs) physics or anything or chemistry. So not a good match, but I could keep dreaming. And this book was so wonderful because it's, it's really a peak inside the life of astronauts and including the stuff that you never hear about and he mentions it people often have a very romanticized idea of what it is what life is as an astronaut and and he said he too initially had those same romantic ideas and then of course reality is very different and um but he he a lot of the stuff that he explains about what what kind of mindset do you need as an astronaut for instance like uh sweat the small stuff because every little error can kill you. <laughs> you know think ahead. what is the next thing that will kill me? Uh, that, that kind of hyper vigilance that it, that is uh, so incredibly important in the training. And then he explains how that actually came in handy later on when there were problems during one of those missions. It was wonderful. Also, just some mundane stuff, how do you sleep? in, in space? How do you brush your teeth? And, uh, <laughs> what happens when you, when it's warm and you're, you're sweating and you're, in your suit? And, oh my gosh. <sighs> At one time, he, when he was still a pilot, because he became an astronaut after having been a pilot, which is not, not, that used to be like the ideal career switch, but no longer that is the case. Because a lot of modern day astronauts are just scientists. But, uh, he said that one day he was in an airplane with someone else and then there is a snake, there is a black snake in his cockpit and he opens the window of his airplane to throw the snake out. And it's like that, but keeping his cool in situations like that is part of uh, the, the training you get as an astronaut. Another thing that I really um, appreciated, and, and for me one of the important takeaways of this book has nothing to do with the life of an astronaut, but what he, he explains, you know, a lot of people tend to uh, ask him, so do you miss space? Because uh, that you know he's been in, in the, the space station um, for a very long time, several months, I think. And then people always talk about it as if that was the only highlight of his life. Whereas uh, because he works for NASA, like 80, 90% of his work has always been on planet Earth in helping other astronauts and helping NASA in their in their space exploration. Uh, but it's not in space. It's not exciting. And then he says, you know, the older I get, the last time I was in space, I knew it was my last time. I would never return to the space station. I would never fly in a space shuttle again. But I refuse to measure the success of my life only based on those highlights. I try to live my life every day investing in what I have to do this very day and finding my pride and finding my joy in what life throws at me today. And if I wouldn't do that, then I I would live a life of regret because there's nothing that's ever going to top me being in space. But I'm too old for that now. I'm, I'm retired. And so I keep challenging myself and trying to find okay so what uh, how can i apply what i've learned as an astronaut to my day-to-day stuff and, and then just enjoy it and the small things are just as important as the big things and so it's this kind of this quality of or this virtue i would call it of contentment that f- according to him is so important and it's something you learn if you work for nasa 'cause not everybody gets to fly in space even if you trained for years and years and years but you end up on the replacement crew the just in case crew and you never actually get to fly in a space shuttle or to be in space it's still you have to that's when you have to just love what you do even if it doesn't include space and if you don't live your life that way you're going to be sad all the time. I thought it was a, a really great lesson. And um, so a very, uh, very good read. Again, it's called Chris Hadfield, an astronaut's guide to life on Earth. Let's take a quick look at the kitchen. And right now, if you would open my fridge, there's one thing that has always been part of my fridge, and it's no longer there. It's a staple ingredient. Most of you will have it in your fridge as well. I no longer have it. It's dairy. I don't have any dairy anymore. And I replaced uh, all my dairy, like the milk and the yogurt, I I replace it all by uh, soy-based products right now. I tried out other stuff like coconut-based stuff and... Uh, uh, what is it? Um, you've got the oatmeal f- juice or whatever. <laughs> anyway, soy, I think, works the best. It's got really good protein content. And if you look at the sustainability of soy based uh, dairy like products or dairy replacements, it's a lot better for the environment. And um, no cow will have to suffer for for my yogurt. And actually the quality nowadays is pretty good. It took some took some use getting used to and I had to try out various brands to see which one uh I liked the best. So I I still don't like to drink like um uh what is it soy milk or soy drink or whatever it's called. Um uh, that's a little bit weird, but if you for instance now I have discovered that little has Uh, soy-based chocolate milk and it's so good oh my gosh i put it in a microwave so it's nice and hot and when i get back from running outside and it's cold oh i have my little soy chocolate milk and it's so good i add some some um, uh soy-based uh topping which is kind of what used to be whipped cream i don't taste the difference it's so good it was like, wow, this is all plant-based. How far have we come? Now, the thing is, what is so interesting, is that, uh, of course, this is not only good for our uh, environment, um, but it's also much more sustainable uh, at for our economy. Um, it, I I don't know how, it, how the situation is in your country, but here in the Netherlands, especially meat and dairy, have seen incredible... Uh, Price hikes lately. It's in fact, it's um, it's the stuff that uh, next to gasoline, so fuel and energy, uh, the thing that has become, uh, has seen the biggest price r- raises. How do you say that? It's, it's, it's the most, the thing that got uh, the uh, most expensive. How do, you, how do you say that? Inflation. <laughs> it's mostly... It, because dairy and uh, and meat has have become so expensive, and it used to be that these m- alternatives, meat alternatives, dairy alternatives, were a lot more expensive than meat and milk, which is kind of weird, because you know raising cows and stuff it's it's a very in- in- intensive, expensive process, and yet dairy was. Highly subsidized in my country, and so it was always cheaper than than plant based stuff. No longer is that the case. So the soy based products are a lot cheaper now than um, than actual dairy. Um, and I have to say, taste wise, I don't have a problem with that anymore. Now the supermarkets are trying to promote that, and they do that by using a technique called nudging. Nudging is kind of subconscious. Uh, well, what it says, nudging you to choose those replacements. And I read an article this morning on a tech site explaining how they use technology to do that and by measuring people. But for instance, a lot of supermarkets have scanners. You scan your own groceries and then you can instantly pay. You don't have to wait in line anymore. Um, But a lot of people use an app for that on their phone or for instance to get like extra percentage off or something like that. In the app, they can nudge you. So, for instance, if you scan, like, a Coca-Cola with sugar, uh, they can give you a message and say, hey, did you know that there's actually a sugar-free alternative, Coke, Diet Coke, or whatever it's called. I don't drink Coca-Cola. And then they they tried out var- various things. There was another some for some people they would add even why it is healthier because sugar is bad for you and this will blah 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 or they would use visual cues like a smiley or or a heart like this is this is the friendly you know nice alternative to sugar based or dairy based or meat based products turns out that uh that research showed that um The biggest change was when the alternative was presented when people were faced with a very specific choice. So, what they did, for instance, and that all the other um, nudging was actually counterproductive. So, if you would explain, you know, but vegan meat is actually much better for the environment and the cows won't have to suffer, that is just making people like, yeah, 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 okay, well, because you keep telling me that, I will go for the meat. <laughs> we don't like being talked down to. But if you just say, hey, did you know actually that there's an alternative? People will, a huge percentage of people will actually pick the alternative if they know that there is an alternative. And so in the supermarkets, you can you can see that this is changing the way they organize the supermarket the dairy, the uh, alternatives for dairy and meat used to be in a totally different part of the supermarket. Now, in most supermarkets here in the Netherlands, it's next to the meat. Or next to the milk and the cheese. So there is like an entire column right next to the dairy and the, and the cheese with vegan dairy and vegan cheese, soy-based products. And I've noticed myself that I see that, wait a minute, so this yogurt... Dairy based is one thirty, and at soy based yogurt is one sixty. That's only thirty cents, and and you know it's much better f- for the environment. Well, let me pick that. It's a no brainer. And and I've noticed that with the meat at the little, they do that as well. The meat alternatives are next to the chicken. I think that they should also do it next to the the beef. But it's already good that it's in the same, the same aisle, you know, you see it when you are trying to pick, what am I going to eat tonight? Oh, but I could just as well just take the, 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 the fake soy chicken pieces or whatever, because last time I sampled those, they were actually really nice. So uh, this, is, this is the science of nudging. It's like hinting us and trying to influ- influence our behavior without us noticing. I think it's fascinating. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yeah. Technology. Gosh, I'm already reading about the... The latest rumors of the iPhone 15, the 14 just came out. Apparently the iPhone 15 is going to have like a periscope, um, camera. Um, and I saw a very interesting video explaining why it will probably take some more time for Apple to get their photos on the same level as for instance, Samsung. It has to do with the fact that a lot of the photos that we take and even video is, not just dependent the quality does not just depend on the sensor or the quality of the lens even though that's usually what apple and samsung uh tend to tend to stress during their presentations but it's not the new sensor or the new lens that's going to automatically result in better photos in fact with apple with the iphone 14 a lot of the photos are subpar when you compare them to what other phones are able to produce. Like, for instance, the new Pixel 7, um, Google is uh, much more uh, reliably putting out, like, results that are superior to what Apple does, and uh, MKHB explains that that's because of software. Um, If you use the same lens and the same sensor for a couple of years, the... Software makers or programmers can optimize their software to work with that specific lens plus sensor combination. Now that Apple has made the switch to a much, much bigger sensor and better lenses, the software is still still interpreting the data that comes from all this new hardware as if it was the slightly subpar hardware from last year. And this is why some of these photos look a bit oversharpened. And he predicts that for the iPhone 15, Apple will probably make huge leaps in image quality and they will, of course, give it a new name to tell you that that's absolutely because of the new iPhone 15, but it's all software. They, c- they can also, in retrograde, do that for the iPhone 14 and even iPhone 13 probably. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if Apple will... In- continue to, to improve this whole computational side of, uh, of making images. And I'm, I'm currently still on the fence. Like, do I get an iPhone now or am I going to wait one more season to get the, you know, the one where they switch to USB-C because of data transfer speeds? You know, that's pretty lousy. Uh, if you use the lightning connect- connector, so on my iPad, I have USB-C very, very high speed and I, I don't think I can go back to the slow speeds of the, of the lightning connector. Plus, I'm, I'm still very curious about the software improvements now that Apple has very good hardware in their phones. Only time will tell, I guess. And with that, I need to wrap up because uh, I need to go to the restaurant where I'm going to meet Father Henry and uh, Father Eric as well as uh, the members of the parish council for uh, the Last Supper. <laughs> That sounds a bit ominous, the Last Supper, but uh, no, I just uh, enjoy these last, last moments uh, with Father Henry here as, as the pastor of the parish, and also looking forward to uh, a nice meal I don't have to cook tonight. Well, I'll leave you with uh, a, a quote of the, of the week, as last week, uh, as was the case last week, uh, it's some uh, Japanese wisdom that I want to share with you, and this is a, a, a principle, a Japanese principle called Gaman, G-A-M-A-N and it's explained as preserving your dignity during tough times i like that idea even no matter how tough the times are how much you are under stress or duress preserve your dignity rise above it you know keep your calm tell yourself it doesn't help if i get angry if i blame others or blame myself or whatever Let's live out my dignity. Let's take it as it is and try to work with it because this is my life and this is what I've been given. So let's make the most of that. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. God bless.